welcome to the Life Church Podcast. We're broadcasting from Coralville, Iowa. For more information about Life Church, to watch a live stream, or to find a campus near you, go to lifechurchnow.org. We are continuing basically a little two-part series that I started two weeks ago called Lost and Found, and we're talking about Luke 15. Now, there's a verse that's really become very dear to me because I think it's, it's a way to say something that um, helps us uh, have a sort of a worldview, a way of looking at other people. In Hebrews 12, 15, it says this, see to it that no one misses the grace of God. Like, I don't know what the Hebrew writer is trying to tell us here, but he's like, he, there's a command here. He said, listen, make sure, make sure in your interactions, make sure in your conversations, make sure when you're having, when you're talking to people that may be far away from God, make sure that they do not miss the grace of God. And so what is the grace of God? The grace of God is that he is for me totally apart from anything I can do or perform. The grace of God is free. It's undeserved. It's counterintuitive. The grace of God is God's disposition towards me. It's how he, how he looks at you, how he, how he relates to you. He relates to you through his grace. And it's good news. The grace of God is good news. I don't know. I don't know if you understand that I am certain that you do because there was a moment in your life there was a moment in my life when I encountered the grace of God when I came to the end of myself when I came to this place where I thought I was good enough I thought I was smart enough I thought I was capable enough I just I thought all those things and then I came to this to this realization that I am not even with my best efforts even with my best work I still could not find forgiveness I still could not find freedom and it was there that I encountered the grace of God and that moment in my life grace was good news good news good news and this grace that we talk about, this good news that we talk about is best expressed, most clearly expressed through the church, through his people, through you. Do you realize that? Do you realize that you are bearers of the grace of God in our community, in your relationships, in your interactions? Do you get that? I say, I don't think we always see that, right? Like it's your grace and my grace and whatever, but... We carry it. Now, what's interesting is that in the world that we live in, if you were to have a conversation with somebody you say, hey, I'm a Christian or I go to church, their first thought isn't usually, is not usually the grace of God. Like, you're a Christian, oh, God's grace, amazing. Yeah, that's not what they think. Usually they think rules. They think judgment. Sometimes they even think hate when you say, I'm a Christian and I go to church. So what I'm doing is I'm talking, we're talking about lost and found, and two weeks ago we started this, this whole conversation in Luke chapter 15, talking about the prodigal son. I mean, Jesus tells this amazing story. It's a powerful story of a son who returns back to the father. He's been lost, and now he is found. Do you remember when you were lost, and you were found? What we concluded a couple weeks ago was that this father, the father always welcomes prodigals home. 
It's never a time where you're too far away from God, where, you, where you've gone so far that the Father says, oh, I give up, I quit. There's never a time like that. He always, 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 always welcomes prodigals back home. Now keep in mind that when Jesus is telling a story, this is a parable, this is considered a parable. So a parable is, is kind of a made-up story. There's several in the Gospels where Jesus is talking, he makes up a story, and the reason why he makes up a story is to relate a heavenly truth, something about God, something about the kingdom of God, something about how, how God operates, but he relates it in a way for people to be able to understand. So in this case, he tells a story of what is lost, and he starts off by talking about the lost coin and the lost sheep, and then he goes on to the lost son. Remember, that's how this, this all worked out, right? And so he's relating the story, and when he tells a parable, the way he tells parables is the idea is somebody in, the, somebody in this story is God, and somebody in this story is us, okay? And so in this particular story, God is represented by the Father. That is God in the story, right? And we, many of us, are represented by the, by the prodigal in the story, right? That's the, the idea of a parable, right? But in this particular story, there's an additional character. And so who is this other person? Who is the elder brother, Right? Who is that person? So today we're going to look at this. This is a word for us, for those of us who are in the church. For those of us who are, who are not in a far off distant land squandering our father's wealth. But we're here close, okay? Verse 25 of Luke 15, it says, Meanwhile, meanwhile meaning after, after the, the prodigal son came back, was embraced by the father, was welcomed back home. Meanwhile, the older son was in the fields working. When he returned home, he heard music and dancing in the house. So Jesus kind of is painting a picture here. He's telling a story, right? So he's painting a picture here of this party that's going on, and the whole village has been invited. Everybody's welcome to this party to, to celebrate something, right? Verse 26, he says, And he asked one of the, the older brother, asked one of the servants what was going on. Your brother's back, he, he was told, and your father has killed the fattened calf. We are celebrating because, he, because of his safe return. The older brother was angry. Interesting, interesting response from this older brother. He's angry that they're celebrating the return of the younger brother. Or maybe he's angry that they're spending money on the fatted calf for this younger brother, Right? He's angry and wouldn't go in. His father came out and begged him, but he replied, all these years I've slaved for you and never once, you never once, <clears throat> sorry, never once refused to do a single thing you told me to. And in all that time, you never gave me even one young goat for a feast with my friends. He's revealing his heart here. I've slaved for you. You've never given me anything. Yet, when this son of yours, and notice how he, a little bit of a, he doesn't say, yet when my brother comes back, that's not what he said. Yet when this son of yours, like, I don't even know the guy. He does not belong to this family anymore. Yet when this son of yours <clears throat> comes back after squandering your money on prostitutes, you celebrate by killing the fattened calf. His father said to him, look, dear son. Now, let me pause here for a second, just give you a little bit of context. Um, in in, in this culture, the oldest son would get two-thirds of the, of the inheritance, and then the rest of the kids would get 
the remaining one-third of the inheritance. Now, if you remember the story, the young son goes to the father and says, hey, I want my, my share of the inheritance. So the father gives one-third of the inheritance to this young son because it's just two brothers. He goes off and spends it. Then <clears throat> um, there's only two-thirds left, right? It's of the whole, one-third is gone, spent or squandered. There's only two-thirds left. And that two-thirds two is the father's, but technically in time will become the oldest son's. And so I read this story here when he says, and in all this time, thank you, and in all this time, you never gave me even one young goat for a feast with my friends, yet when this son of yours comes back after squandering your money on prostitutes, and you celebrate by killing the fattened calf. I wonder if the son, if the older son was like, you're spending my money. Why are you spending my money on that loser brother of mine? He doesn't even call him brother. He's your son. There's all kinds of disrespect going on here. But it's interesting how this father responds. He goes, look, dear son. There's tenderness. He's, he's loving towards us. Look, dear son, you have always stayed by me and everything I have is yours. We, have, we had to celebrate this happy day for your brother was dead and has come back to life. He was lost, but now he is found. Now it's important for us to understand what started this whole conversation in the first place. See, Jesus is being criticized by these religious leaders, these Pharisees, right? I mean, what Jesus is saying to us in this parable is that this elder brother is really the Pharisees. That's what he's pointing out. These Pharisees, I mean, they were, they were like squeaky clean morally. They had memorized large portions of the Old Testament. They were faithful tithers. I mean, they tithed even down to the herbs and the, and the, and the plants that they had in their house. I mean, these guys were, they, they fasted on Tuesdays and on Fridays regularly. I mean, these guys were, I mean, they were just righteous, at least in their own eyes. They were righteous. They did everything right. And then here comes Jesus. He's this unconventional rabbi. He, he just comes along and he, he, you know, says he speaks for God. And the masses love him. They throng him. They come near him all the time. And then on top of that, he kind of hangs out with notorious sinners. Like he hangs out with the prostitutes and the tax collectors. He's, he spends time with the immoral, the unholy, the, the contaminated people. And so these religious leaders, they, they're listening to this story and they're seeing the life of Jesus and the way they see it is different. In their mind, what Jesus is doing is that he's shaming God by hanging out with these people. By being so common in his ways, he's shaming God. And Jesus basically has to tell his story, basically to correct their viewpoint of God. Now, I'm going to pause here for a second because this is why I need to talk about it today. Because I think too often we walk in through these doors and we have an understanding of God that's not right. How God sees us, how God views us. We have an understanding of other people that's not right. And it's interesting that Jesus has to do the exact same thing. And so today, this is what's happening. Jesus is really correcting their thinking about God and how God feels about people. So what, is, what was Jesus saying about how God feels about people? What's God's heart for people? Well, a simple word, grace. Grace. Do you feel that word? Do you feel that posture of God towards you? Do you feel the grace of God? 
See, the father, it's just an amazing picture. The father wants a relationship with his lost son in this story. And so what does he do? His lost son comes back. He puts a robe on him, gets a family signet ring, puts it on his finger. Even the sandals that he puts on his feet are the father's. And then they take the fatted calf and they... And they and they, sacri- they you know they 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 cook the fatted calf as a celebration. Celebration wasn't for the son. The celebration was for the father, because the father had lost something, and now that something had been returned back to him. And this whole thing, what's happening is that Jesus is telling a story that's basically depicting to this lost prodigal son, you are my son. Despite everything that's happened, as you've come back to me, you are my son. That's why you're wearing this robe. That's why I'm putting this ring on your finger. You belong to me. You are my son. Now you have to understand how this audience hears this because this is a shame-based culture. They don't, it's different. Like we read the story, you know, from a Western point of view, and we're like, oh, that's so noble and it's so amazing. But that's not how they saw it. <laughs> they saw it more like, wait a minute, this father, yes, he extends grace to this son, but what he also does is a transaction is happening. When he also does that, he takes on the shame of that son. And in Middle Eastern culture and in, even today, that would never happen. In a shame-based culture, the father never does that. He doesn't run after children. When a son disowns the family, when a son does what he does, what this son did, the father basically stands back and says, hey, you know what? You did this. And you really have to grovel to come back to me. If you can even come back to me. In fact, you know, we lived many years in Bangladesh and when a, a son shames the family, I mean, he's disowned. They don't even have conversations with him. In this culture, they would have beaten him, maybe even stoned him to death. But the father has taken on the shame. And he tells his servants, put my coat on him, my coat of forgiveness, my robe of sonship and acceptance. Put that on him. And so just so you know, that, that the father's posture towards this son is the same posture he has towards you. See, you might be here right now, and I understand how it is. You know, we, we, we go to church. When we wake up on a Sunday morning, we, okay, we're going to church this morning, so we put on our nicest clothes and make sure we look good, you know. Make sure that there's no evidence of my sinful life or my, my brokenness or my argument with my wife or my whatever. Let's kind of, let's, let's have this mask on. We come, we sit here, and in many ways pretend like everything is great. Now, and I understand, I mean, you, who would want to walk in and say, let me just tell you how bad my life is, right? <laughs> None of us do that. <clears throat> but I need you to hear this. This is the posture of the Father towards you. If you walked in here this morning, and your life, there's sin in your life, and there's brokenness in your life, and there's broken relationships in your life. Grace towards you. He wants relationship with you. <clears throat> well, it's reason to celebrate, right? The Father gives us grace. But then I want you to check out what happens next in, in terms of this, this older brother. It's kind of like the second part of the story. 
Um, just imagine the scene. There's a party happening, right? And in this party, the whole village has been invited. There's a head table in the party. The, the father is sitting at the head table. A few of the village elders are also sitting at the head, ta- head table. I mean, it's a party. There's food. There's dancing. There's celebration. Kids are kind of lining around the edges, you know. And, and then uh, the elder brother, the older son in the family, is supposed to serve as the host of a party. Allows the father to come and mingle and roam around and talk to people, you know. And so this elder brother is supposed to be there hosting the party, but instead, instead, he decides not to enter into the party. And so this older brother disrespects the father just as much as his younger brother disrespected the father by saying, hey, I want my inheritance now. I wish you were dead. I want to go off and spend it and squander it. This older son reveals his true attitude when, he, when all this stuff starts happening. What it says, verse 9, verse 29. He says, all these years, this is the elder son talking, all these years I have slaved for you. Like, he wasn't working for the father as a son. He was working for the father as a slave. I mean, there's all kinds of disrespect going on here. When the father comes out to speak to him, he doesn't address him as father. No, he doesn't even address him. And it reveals his heart. See, this father, in the same way that he put aside his dignity to welcome this younger son in, you know, when, he, when the son came, he saw him at a distance, he ran after him. Patriarchs don't do that. He put his dignity aside to be able to do that. In the same way, this father does the same thing with this older brother. When people heard that the older son did not want to come into the party, what would normally happen is the father would call some friend a couple friends, other elders, and say, hey, will you go out there and get that disrespectful son back in his room? And they would go out and they would force him back into the party. But that's not what happens in this story. This father, like I said, in the same way that he gives up his dignity to chase after the younger son, he also chases after the older son. He goes on there, he pleads with him. He says, hey, listen, he was lost. We needed to celebrate but you're here, you're close, come in, take a part of, of who you are. You are part of this family, you belong here. And he pleads with him to come into the, into the party. Verse 29, he goes, all these years I've slaved for you and never once refused to do a single thing you told me to. And in all that time, you never gave me even one young goat for a feast with my friends. I mean, the father, I can't even imagine what the father was thinking at this moment. What? Never gave you? Are you kidding me? Everything was yours. Everything was yours. It was always available to you. It was always there. You see, what this story reveals is that we who are older brothers, we often miss the grace of God as well. Maybe, let me rephrase that. Sometimes we, we've experienced the grace of God, but then we take it for granted. Like somehow I deserve it. Like, I've worked for you, and I've performed, and I've done everything right. Like, somehow or another, you owe me, God. And then when God doesn't give us what we expect, we get mad. You see, this older son is just as lost as the younger son was when he was in this far land feeding pigs on the farm. Just as lost. See, when Jesus is telling you the story, you have to understand that, that... Remember, it's a parable, right? He's telling a story and people are, it make, it's the, the cause of the parable is to make people think about, uh, okay, what is, who's God and 
who am I and all that. And so uh, these, uh, these Pharisees in the crowd, they're like, they're like, yeah, yeah, you know, okay, f- Father, it's a weird kind of God, but yeah, that's the Father. And, uh, and, and yeah, that son who went off and squandered, def- definitely these prostitutes and these tax collectors. Wait a minute. I think he's talking about us now when he talks about the older brother. Like it dawns on them that he's talking about the older brother and that they are the older brother, right? I think sometimes the elder brother oftentimes doesn't see it. Like we, that's what happens to us is that we don't realize. And so from his point of view, he's doing everything right. This elder brother's doing everything right. So, so a party for this younger brother is like an insult to him. How could you possibly do this? And he's mad at the father. Somehow God owes him something. And I just want to challenge us here this morning. Like if you're sitting here right now and things have not gone the way you expected, like maybe you've been faithful, faithfully serving him in church, you've been tithing, you've been, you know, and all those things work and they're good, but you've been doing it and it's just not turning out the way you expected. God doesn't owe you anything. He doesn't owe me anything. He doesn't owe me anything at all. And yet this is how this, this younger son is relating to his father. I mean, you know, we pray, we read our Bible, we tithe faithfully, we've been serving kids' ministries. And we get upset when it feels like God never comes through. So what does that look like for us? Sometimes the way that can look like for us is like, God, I faithfully served you. Why do you let my son not serve you, not, be, not follow you, not be a Christian? God, I faithfully served you. Why are you keeping me stuck in this dead-end job? We can go on and on and on. Somehow God owes us. Oftentimes, elder brothers are joyless people. They have a critical spirit. That's how this whole thing started. In fact, in, in Luke 15, verse 1, it says, the sinners and tax collectors were coming around Jesus. And then verse 2, it says, this made the Pharisees and teachers of the religious law complain. Another translation is they were muttering. Like they were gossiping about it. They were talking about it. They were, they, you know, they're, they're critical in their nature complain that he was associating with such sinful people. It's interesting is that the word grace, um, the, Greek, the Greek for grace is charis. Um, that's when you read through the New Testament, you come across the word grace, you're going to see that word, that Greek word charis. The root of charis is kara, which means joy. Okay, so joy, just a typical word, joy. There's another word that we use in the New Testament called charismata, which means gift. And so what's interesting about grace is grace is really about, about producing joy and being generous. That's what God is, right? When you first met Jesus and you needed his grace and you experienced his grace, what happened? Joy flows in you. What are you joyful about? That you have been given a gift. You have been forgiven. You have been given so much. You didn't deserve it, but you received it. And that's what grace is all about. But sometimes elder brothers miss that point. Now, before you think I'm, I'm being hard on elder brother, it's not hard to become an elder brother. It's not hard to be critical. A few months ago, I was in Des Moines, and um, <clears throat> I was, uh, sorry, I was in a coffee shop, uh, actually kind of working on this message a little bit, uh, rereading Luke 15 to kind of um, begin to prepare for, for this week, these couple of weeks. And, um, and I'm sitting in this coffee shop early in the morning, and a, and a dad walks in with two little girls, 
little cute little girls, right? Walks in, and you know, they're, you know, it's early in the morning, it's quiet in the coffee shop, and suddenly a dad with two little girls walks in, and it's noisy all of a sudden, you know, so, and they find a little booth, and they sat down, and, um, and I, I noticed, you know, I'm paying attention because I heard the noise and these little girls were like daddy hungry. They're like, daddy, 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 this, and that. I want that and I want this. And so I'm watching this whole thing unfold and I look at the dad and I can see he's a little bit distracted. I noticed he didn't have a ring on his finger. So, you know, pretty much I started assuming that the guy was uh, a single dad, you know, why would he be there by himself with two little girls? Seemed like he had his hands full. And uh, a little bit distracted by his phone, you know. And so I'm sitting there working on this message. This message, Grace, by the way. I'm working on this message. And suddenly this judgmental spirit started going, rising up inside of me. And I'm looking over there. And, and I'm, I'm like, dude, pay attention to your daughters. Put that phone down in my head. I didn't say that. I didn't say it out loud. He was actually a pretty big guy. So he might have just kind of flattened me. I don't know. But so, so I'm like, dude. Pay attention to your daughters. Just stop looking at the, stop being so distracted by a phone. And in my head, I'm like, it's probably why you're divorced anyways, you know? <laughs> I, I, I know, it's terrible. It's terrible. It's judgmental. And then I'm like, you know, uh, you know, don't, don't be so short-tempered with them. And all this is going on in my head, and suddenly the Holy Spirit just zapped me. I don't know the guy, I never even talked to the guy, but the Holy Spirit zapped me and said, what if, what if his wife just died of cancer? And he's trying to figure out how to, how to make it through life with these two little girls. And what if him being on the phone is not so much about, you know, he's distracted by the phone, but what if it's that he's trying to negotiate what it's like to have two little girls at home that are not school age yet, and, and also have responsibilities at work and try to figure out how do I manage work and my family at the same time and him choosing to be with his girls while having to manage work. And in that moment, I felt so convicted. What he, didn't, he didn't need my judgment. What he needed from me was grace. That's what he needed. And that's God's disposition towards you. He sees your life and it's chaotic and it's upside down and it's not going the way you want it to go. And he doesn't look at you and say, you're a terrible person. Get your act together. But he sees grace, grace, grace. Listen, when you see people the way Jesus sees people, you will have people in your life that you love that are far from God. And what they will experience from you and being in relationship with you is that they will get to experience the grace of God. That's why Jesus, that's why Hebrew writers says, see to it that no one misses the grace of God. So what is Jesus trying to say to us who, are, who suffer with uh, a word I just invented, elder brother-itis? <laughs> Does that work? Elder, elder brother-itis. Well, I think what Jesus is saying to both sons that, is that both sons were lost. And God cares for what is lost. The younger son was lost in a distant land, squandering the father's wealth, living in sin. But the older son was lost right at home because relationally he was disconnected from the father. One thing that's interesting about this story is that Jesus just kind of ends the story. Um, like there's no conclusion. Have you ever been in a movie? Like you watch a movie and then it just ends? And you're like, I- I'm sitting there like, wait a minute. You, you can't stop there. 
You've got to finish the story. You cannot just leave us hanging. But this is exactly what happens in this story. It's like Jesus is talking about the, what's lost and found. The younger son is found. And then he enters into the elder brother story. And then he just says, you know, what it, it talks about how the elder brother was demanding of the father. And then just it ends. That's it. We don't know whether this elder brother says, I'm so sorry, father. I'm coming close. We don't know that. We don't know what, anything about it. It just ends. And I think the reason why is because in this story, Jesus makes it clear that the heart of God for the Father, the heart of the God, the heart of the Father is what is lost must be found. And he makes it clear that those who are far from God, like this younger son, recognize that. They see their sin, they see their, their distance, they see the reality that they need to be close to the Father, and so they, they, in humility, fall on their face before God and say, God, here I am, take me. But sometimes elder brothers are blind to that, so the invitation that Jesus makes to all of us is if you're lost in a distant land, come home. I don't know where you are. I, don't, I mean, I wish I knew every one of your stories. I know some of your stories. But if you're far from God... If you're lost and you're living in sin, the Father invites you to come home. But the invitation to, to those of us who are close is come close. Like stop trying to perform. Start trying to, stop trying to work your way. And listen, God will never, ever allow you to use your works of righteousness as a way to become righteous. He'll never allow that. Because if he does, then what Jesus did on the cross was in vain. What he wants from you and me is relationship, intimacy. And so the question is, have you missed the grace of God? Have you missed the grace of God? So I want you to bow your heads, close your eyes for a second. I'm gonna, <clears throat> we're gonna pray here in a minute, but I'm gonna ask you, as your heads are bowed, your eyes are closed, I'm gonna ask you, to talk to the Holy Spirit for a second and say, Holy Spirit, what are you saying to me? Maybe you're in this room and you are the younger brother. You've kind of lived, you're kind of living a double life maybe. Maybe you're here and you're trying to pretend like everything's good, like you're good, but other days of the week, you're just doing your own thing. You're far from God there. And the Father invites you, says, come home, come home, come home, come home. But maybe you are like that elder brother and you're here you're close but you're harboring some bitterness towards God like God why did you allow this to happen in my life why did she have to die why does my why do my children have to be so far away from God why do you have me in this financial turmoil and you have these things and you, there's these expectations that you have of God and you feel like God owes you I think God's just simply speaking to you, come close to me. Come close to me. Enter into, my, into a relationship with me. It's about intimacy and love and grace. So we're going to end this service the way we always end the service with a worship song. And we'll have prayer teams here on the left and right. And uh, it's simply what I'm going to ask you to do. We're going we're gonna to pray here in a second. And we're going to stand for worship in a minute. But what I'm going to ask you to do is if the Holy Spirit speaking to your heart, step out and allow our prayer teams to pray with you. You might be here, you might be saying, wait a minute, I, you know what? I, I just don't know about, I feel embarrassed about going and being prayed for, but that's what the church is all about.
I mean, I've tried hard this morning to just share my heart with you about this. This has been, I, honestly, it's just been a, I've wrestled with this message because I, how do I speak to older brothers? How do I speak to us older brothers? <clears throat> We're family, and God's inviting us into a relationship with him. And you might be an older brother here this morning, but in your heart you feel distant from God. And so just come close, he says. Amen.